This week, we have the incredible Michael Hooper. He's an Australian rugby player who also happens to be the captain of the Australian Wallaby team. Michael debuted playing professional rugby when he was just 18 years old. He then went on to become the fastest Wallaby to reach 100 tests. He's played against some of the toughest men in some of the toughest environments on the planet. This episode, we talk with Michael about who he is as a person outside of being just a player. We explore his mindset, his understanding of high performance, the importance of values-driven leadership, his role as a father and the lessons he's learned from his father, the importance of deep friendships and what he does to take care of his own mental health. I love this chat with Michael. He's obviously a guy who has achieved a lot, but I love this because of his humility and his authenticity. I think he's an outstanding role model and I reckon you'll think the same. Hope you enjoy. Well, hoops, um, mate, I was driving here and I was thinking when was the first time that we would have met and we probably would have been, well, I don't know if we met, but we would have faced off against each other, maybe oh, under sevens, maybe under eights. And I was like, I remember tackling you and just going, fuck that hurt as like an <laughs> eight-year-old and it just I couldn't quite comprehend it and I think there was like one of the Hoppawatis in the team and um, just a bunch of players and then it's been really special, man, to just witness, you know, I think probably the years of grand finals we, we versed each other as well from Manly and St Ives or Manly and Gordon and, um, yeah, just to witness the progression really special to watch you just rise to each level that you were faced with, but then to just do it with an enormous amount of character. Um, and that's really rare. So dude, it's, I'm really looking forward to just one, just catch up and, and speaking to you, but, but also just um, giving, you know, I think what I've observed with people who have kind of public profiles now is they can become like an image or an identity, but what's missed is actually the person. So I'm excited to meet the person or remake the person and um yeah i'm excited to hang out man well i i can guarantee you a little bit different from when i was when we were playing in what under sevens or under eights um it's a long time ago man so good memory getting uh getting all that sorted um there's some good times hey we're lucky where we grew up like um st ives or manly or whatever like some serious good places and some opportunities you're given as you know you got the beach you're near the beach you've got good schools you've got all that stuff like i um I'm Sydney's biggest fan a lot of the time. There's so much great about Sydney. There's some tougher stuff as well, the traffic shithouse and all, <laughs> yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, the rain at the moment's horrible, but um, no, we're, we're lucky, hey. And um, no, thanks for the flutter you've uh, given me to start <laughs> off this thing. Um, you know, very, very kind of you. And um, yeah, I mean, happy to be here and stoked to have a chat. Amazing, man. Uh, I want to go into a little bit about your travel, but I just want to start with you as a person. Um, we just want to give you the space just to, for people listening, how would you describe who you are as a person? And that doesn't have to be this polished thing, but just like, who is Michael Hooper? Uh, who is, who am I? Um, I'd like to think I have an open mindset, very much um, want to be growing. Um, know that um, if you stop growing, you know, I think that's a failure. The, the growth mindset is probably the clearest thing I, I hear there. Is that something that was built in for you or was that role model to you or did you have to make a few mistakes along the way to kind of come to a, a centering with that? You, you have to just have that growth mindset. You know, you rock up training and 
you're with guys who've played for 10, 15 years and they view things differently. They've been there. They've done that. So at some point you have to learn that, okay, I know I know nothing here or what I know is very little. Okay, what can I pick up along the way? And that's on and off field. Um, but particularly in the last couple of years, I've had some some great things happen in my career and some really hard things happen in my career. Um, you know, on the on the field, you know, it's it's tough. You lose games and you, you go soul-searching. But um, I think that that's helped me evolve as a person as well. Um, you know, so I think it's something I've definitely become more aware of, but at, at the beginning it was something that luckily was given to me because of, because of rugby. Um, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think that's what probably – we've both found early on is that sport is an amazing training ground when it's done well, you know, with the, the teamwork, the resilience, the commitment, the discipline, um, the failures, the winning, the the delayed gratification of something as well. But then also there's the whole toxic side of sport, which I'm sure we've seen as well. So it's like when sport is done well, I think it's an amazing opportunity for for growing and learning and finding out who you are because there's literally a ritual, whether it's your – you know, your training schedule or your game day where you need to show up. And I think inside of that discipline, we get to find out more who we are. Um, there's a <laughs> a Jocko Willink quote who's mm. this, um, sounds like no one, but he talks about discipline is freedom. And I think that's a really interesting sentiment because there is something with the busyness of whether it's the human mind or, you know, the human experience that when we do have rituals and discipline, it, it actually creates more space for us to be ourselves in a weird, weird kind of paradox. Mm. So I think that's my reflection. And then the other thing I just want to pick up on what you said is like you've had some amazing highs and we probably see the awards and, you know, the attention and the interviews. But what often people don't see is the tough times. How, how do you manage the tough times? And if you don't mind answering it, like what have been some of those tough times recently? Uh, okay, so some of the tough times. Um, well, recently um, would be stuff like, you know, failures as as a leader. Mm. So we go to the World Cup 2019, we get dusted, quarterfinal, we lose a pool game, go up against the Poms in um, quarterfinal, get dusted, you know. I'm the captain, you know, captain of the team and um, you're responsible mm. um, that things, you know, so that was hard. Um, I don't have – I have social media but I don't use it. And you sit on it. Mm. And, that, and you know, early on it was like, oh, this just me. Um, then you realise it's everyone because, you know, I, doing some research on it, you know, we're sort of attuned to, you know, back in the day you walk down the road and if a snake jumps out, you remember the snake being there. This is yeah. just a modern-day snake in the grass is someone telling you shit house yeah. <laughs> at, at the thing you've um, you've given your life to. So it, hurt, it hits pretty hard. Um, but then you also come to terms with it. So mm. in reflecting now, um, why can't that person have an opinion? And why um, why should I get wound up about it? Um, so I still don't look at it because I don't have to try and go through that full circle <laughs> in my head. I, it's better off just not being there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like they're entitled to their own opinion um, and that, that opinion makes them feel whatever way. No matter what I do, I might have the best game I've ever had yeah. and do it for a year straight and there's still going to be a person out there that doesn't think I'm good enough. So why do I bother? So what, what can I focus on? I can focus on what I can control. And it's starting and, you know, that's working with sports psychs and stuff like that, focusing on what you can control, your needs versus wants mm. in terms of performance um, and breaking it down that way. Um, and that's And that's – 
been a, that's been part of the growth for me, right? But um, yeah, I mean, that's a, l- a little bit of the hard stuff. Um, and then there's, you know, there's travel and there's going away from home all the time. I mentioned how much I love Sydney. Um, it's hard going away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've moved around a bit. Um, so, you know, how it feels. Yeah, absolutely. I also like part of this podcast is like grabbing little gold of like that can support all of our mm. mental health. And I think what I want to pull out there is just your boundaries. Like that's clearly a boundary you set around social media use. And I think the difference now is that, you know, whilst that snake used to jump out at us, now the snake doesn't have the most addictive serotonin and <laughs> dopamine um, receptors firing to kind of keep us in there. Um, and I think that's, that's such a challenge for our generation growing up is, you know, the it's almost like, oh, I know we have the smartest minds on in the world focused on hijacking our attention into our phones and then it's just this vortex of like chemicals getting released inside of us, trapping us in this like device. And I think that's, you know, coming back to high performance as well as working out your boundaries so you can perform better. I think that's absolutely what I hear there. And then also there's, there's trade-offs in that too because it is a little world, it is a community, people get opportunities, they grow, you know, they build their brands. But what, to your point, like to what cost, you know, your own well-being, your own sense of self, um, a feeling of helplessness or lack of control versus what you said is like I'm just going to focus on being me, mm. you know. And I think that that is a really interesting tangent just to come back to around being yourself but also being a rugby player. What's been your journey with that? Um, a mixed one. Um, yeah, like a, there's so much great stuff that comes with uh, what I've been lucky enough to do. Like it's been awesome, hey. Like you get to travel, um, you go to work and it's literally you're rocking up to your footy team. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a piss take at times yeah. and um, – yeah, I, I remember you know, you'd finish off a season and everyone, they talk about this Mad Monday thing, right? But yeah. the best observation I've heard of a Mad Monday was like you're on a bus going somewhere in fancy dress and everyone else is going to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're like you're driving down the freeway going the other way to people like you're going off to a pub or something. Um, and I thought that was a pretty funny That's observation. Cute. And and you've got to like you've got to be grateful and, yeah, you, you do have to reflect on those moments because it's hard. Yeah. But it's good hard. Like, you know, t- turning up to a fitness session and when you've been doing it for a long time, it's like, shit, you know, like on the line, boys. <laughs> and you, just, you get into that point where it's getting, it's wearing thin, right? Mm. So you got to keep finding motivation, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, I think it's, it, it will hit every rugby player. Yeah. Um, and keeping that balance, I, I've, I think in terms of um, things that have worked for me over the years, I, I've still got, um, you know, two of my best mates from school. And they, um, you know, when when I go and catch up with them and speak to them, it's like nothing's ever changed. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're doing so well in, in their stuff that they're doing in business and, you know, one of them started their own business now and um, so impressive to, to see that sort of stuff. But they still call me meathead from when I was <laughs> yeah. at school and, you know, they, I couldn't, uh, couldn't write an essay to save my life or anything like that. So um, I think that keeps you grounded. Um, family keeps you grounded. Um, but then also just knowing that you're, uh, you're not that important. Hey, like, um, the whole ego thing can creep up, um, and managing that is a challenge, um, in terms of, 
you know, how, how, you, how you work on that. And I think that's um, a crossroads everyone has to come through, particularly in, in sports. So managing that's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a great chat with James O'Connor, which I mentioned to you, and just mm-hmm. hearing his journey, you know, has been quite extraordinary from pretty much in his language being seduced by the ego and everything that was available to then now, you know, coming back as a much more grounded individual. Um, but it, it is, you know, I can imagine when you broke into the circuit, what you're like professional rugby down, I think the Brumbies first, yep. 2010 maybe mm. around then. See so what you would have been like 19-ish. 18, yeah, 18, just turned 18. Which is ridiculous, first of all. Um, so you're surrounded by these guys who, you know, have been in the system for a while, um, you know, pretty confident, have charisma coming out of every direction. How do you as a young dude navigate that? Um, you work it out, right? <laughs> you work it out. You're forced to. It's kind of like, well, this is what i got to do, so let's – do the best I can. I think the great thing about sport is you have the ability to um, do stuff with your action. So, you, nice. yeah, yeah, there's there's a heap of stuff going on off the field. That's cool. And it was a different time when I started. Um, it was the culture's changed um, to where it is now. Um, but you get on the field, it's like, well, it's, it's a game of stats at the end of the day and it's a game of, you know, like playing hard. Mm. Um, and that was always, you know, pretty like a, I – I'm a younger of a older brother, so I think competing's in my nature. You're just trying to play catch up with your older brother. He's 18 months older than me, so that gap's close enough that you're like kind of developmentally the same, yeah, or just a bit behind, which is good because then I was just constantly I was chasing, chasing him. Yeah. Um, so you know that that was just built in. So once you hit the deck on the footy field, it's like game on. All yeah. right, let's go. Like doesn't matter. Um, and there's certainly a level of respect and believability that comes with playing for 12 or so years. But, um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like that was when I first went in. And it was funny, hey, I'll tell you this story. When I first got, first got in, I um, was doing my HSC and I was going down to the Brumbies and there was a big gap between my la- like second last exam and my last exam. My last exam was art and I went down um, to Canberra. I moved into my new place um, down there and I started training with – the Brumbies at the time and then I had this one exam that I got the day off of Brumbies training to come back up. So I drove back up, so whatever, three and a half hours, sat in this exam and just sat down and go, what the <laughs> hell am I doing here? <laughs> like like I've been training with guys I've been looking up to as rugby Forever. players and I'm back sitting in this room and it's just – I, I don't know what I got in that exam. <laughs> what, <laughs> max time before you walk out. It, yeah. it was it was yeah. Look, looking around, I just thought, what am I doing here? Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to be there. I was ready to go in this new this new journey. Um, probably should have given it a bit of more bit more of attention. Um, but hey, at the time, you know, what can you tell an eighteen year old? Um, probably part of that naive piece. Because mm. um, you know, you like like we spoke about earlier at eighteen, you think you have it worked out. Yeah, there's this sense of invincibility as an 18 year old and interesting in our right, sorry, in our work, particularly with man cave, um, we talk about this concept of a rite of passage and for, you know, thousands of years, the older men would take young men through a rite of passage. And the idea is like throughout like kind of developmental years of like kind of 12 to 16, we're taken through an experience that challenges our mortality or it gets questioned. And that could be like a physical challenge, um, you know, like the Maasai warriors go and hunt a lion in Vanuatu. They might jump, 
you know, oh, that's the vines. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, some cultures it's a circumcision, so fortunately not in ours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the idea is that it pushes the teenage, particularly the teenage boy, to this edge where they lo- they realise they're not invincible mm. and then they have to let go of these like boy behaviours and welcome adult healthy man behaviours. But we obviously don't have that in our culture, in mainstream kind of Western culture. It's kind of like go to schoolies and get pissed or like your first time having sex, you know, some people doing drugs, you know, whatever it is. But these challenges that like we're forced to humble ourselves I think are really healthy. And it sounds like going down there when you were like 18 absolutely was a rite of passage because you're, you're suddenly the junior playing amongst all these guys. It was George Smith yep. down there who I imagine would have been a pretty big inspiration for you? Yeah, he was the man. Like he was the guy I looked up to. The club had my two other favourite players in George uh, Gregan and Stephen Larkham. Like I grew yeah. up, you know, those three were the guys and ha- all, all happened to be Brumbies, not by um, – you know, choice, but uh, that was it. Was you know they were a successful team that yeah. translated into the the Wallabies at the time. You know, I'm proud Tars uh, through and through these days. But um, no, the Brumbies had such a cool allure about it. Um, certainly at the time, yeah. And they were. I remember back then, particularly, they were just like clinicians. Like it was beautiful to watch, and they were competing at such a high level against the New Zealand teams, which you know, as we know, are just extraordinarily talented and disciplined as well. So it's good to have like that, you know, those three down there. Yeah. No, I, th- I think, um, yeah, it's having that rite of passage, I guess it came for me and I'd be interested to hear with your trip to Melbourne um, mm. and your well, – not a trip. Yeah. It sounded like <laughs> yeah, what, eight years? Around. Yeah, it's supposed to be six months, eight years was later. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Um, interested to hear how, you know, that mm. was for you. Um, I had moments. So you talk about, you know, that I guess this is – the, I, the vulnerable is very, uh, you know, a, a word that's used a lot. Mm. This is probably my part of that, right? So, yeah, it sounded great. Um, just spoke about coming back up to the HSC. All my mates finishing school. So they were going to, you know, what, what was it at the time? Like Greenwood. Yeah, Greenwood. Green, um, Cabana. Cabana has to work there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I did, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember times I was coming back to Sydney and my mates would be, I don't know, doing whatever back here and I'd be driving down like kind of hoping my car would break down so I'd come back home, mm. you know, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I sucked it up and and got down there and everything like that. I actually told my parents that recently and they were shocked. They felt terrible that I couldn't sort of speak out to them. But, you know, I guess at the time you're sort of like, no, nah, like this is my dream or this is what I want to do and it's hard. But in terms of, you know, I, I think at one point though, and, and, and you know, it's a double-edged sword, right, because it was bloody hard. But then I think that gave me uh, motivation to then go, okay, is this something I want to do? Yeah. So while it was super hard, I wouldn't change it because, you know, and maybe if I reached out um, in some way, which is probably not great advice, but if it, just for me personally, if I'd reached out and got that, got that help, um, you know, maybe I would have quit. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have stayed on that hard path. Um, and it was, it got to a point for me, it was like, an, you know, a crossroads. It was sort of like, okay, well, I can either make this work or, you know, like I'm done, you know, it's, it's not, it's not happening for me. Cause I, I like, I had some, some good results on the field, but not great. Like I wasn't, wasn't doing well and I was making excuses for that. No, oh, it's the coach or, you know, it's not, you know, I'm just, couldn't get into the game, that sort of one. And it comes a point where you go, okay, we're here. like it's on me. 
And so we like it worked for me in the end, right? Like it it gave me the an off season where I was um, trained as hard as I possibly could. Got surrounded by some really great coaches and S and C staff, um, and it just sort of clicked at the right time. Um, there's some injuries, and you know, um, managed to managed to make a run for it, right? But um, yeah, like it's without the hard things, you know, like yeah, what do they say? Like pressure makes the diamonds, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and you know, the more I review or uh, look back on my story. Um, it's out of all those tougher things that really good stuff happens and you can't have one without the other. So, um, yeah, I don't know what you would take from that or anyone would take from that, but, you know, has that happened in your experience? What, what do you think? I just think that's so not often talked about enough because I think, and this is, I often talk about this in the, particularly in the male mental health space where people are like, oh, be vulnerable. And I'm like, we can't rely on vulnerability as the silver bullet for our own health and well-being. Yeah, Opening up is absolutely important. Speaking your truth, absolutely. But the reality is the human experience is pure discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. like, and I think coming back to what you said, it's like, you know, that's a really interesting point. If you had have reached out, what would have happened, right? And we're not saying if you're in a tough, positive, yeah. you know, don't reach out, deal yeah. with it yourself. This is, you know, use your own agency and self-awareness in this. But, you know, there is something about finding a healthy grind mm. and, you know, also like when you're 18, you actually have the emotional reserves to like work a little harder. You've got, you've got the resiliency there. And I, I just think that's so important. And even for parents, like I see that now because we do a lot of work with parents as well as like they use the language like helicopter parents. So they're just like making sure the kid's all good all the time. It's like, nah, the world does not operate like that. It is incredibly uncertain. It's incredibly complex. The one thing you can guarantee is you're going to get hurt. Like, and that's, that's, that's going to happen. And so, yeah, I think reflecting back, like some of the, for me, definitely some of the most important experiences in my life were the fucking hardest (laughs) and the loneliest and the scariest. And yeah, my, I think my journey with the rite of passage probably happened when I was like 16, had a big broken leg back then. And, um, a guy's knee went in my shin. It ended up being like six operations, a metal rod, four screws, two skin grafts, two blood transfusions. And I remember like the doctor walking in and, um, this was like right before like schoolboys and all of that. And, yeah. and he was like, um, yeah, man, like you, there's 90% chance you're not going to run again. And I was like, you know, I was obsessed with sport. That was my identity. Good footy player, man. Don't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just like, you know, it, it's similar to you. Like I was, it was just everything. And I'd rock up to school and be like, oh, this is just really biding the time for, for something else. And then to have that happen was the loneliest I've ever felt. I spent six months on the couch just like feeling very sorry for myself. And then I just got left with a comment. Um, I'm very fortunate to have love around me as well. Just to say, like, you know, if you were that good at sport, imagine if you could push that into something a little more meaningful. At the time I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, but it just it just was one of those comments that just landed and sunk. And it wasn't like things changed overnight, but what it did was gave me an, just a little nudge, like five degrees going, okay, there's more to me than just this whole way. I'm obsessed with rugby. I love sport generally, but okay, there's more going on here. And I think that was probably my first rite of passage. I didn't know it at the time. But then when I moved to Melbourne when I was like 21, 
Um, yeah, same thing. I got back to playing rugby again, did my ACL. I was just like, oh, God, this I see where this we is heading. that doctor wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Never you hear again. that doctor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and then – but Melbourne, same thing, was like, you know, supposed to be six months. And I just, like – I still remember I, I walked – for the first six months I was there, I, like, made no friends. I was volunteering at a not-for-profit, working at a bar four or five nights a week. And I was like, six months, I'm just going to live the experience. And I'd like on weekends just like walk around by myself and I'd gone from being amongst my mates, rugby cultures, you're always surrounded by a team, to then suddenly feeling insanely lonely, wanting something to happen so I could come home in a similar way to you. But then when I moved through those edges, I I actually found out more who I was. I think that's something which you touched on as well. It's like in the mess, in the whether it's the sadness, actually like I think your character gets revealed and for me, that was just a really good lesson. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my experience and ended up staying there for, for eight years and moved back about a year ago. Yeah, and there's kind of no right or wrong way, is, is there? Like, yeah, some, you know, my story is that or your story is that, but the other direction could have been just as good. Yeah. You know, so there's no right or wrong way to it. It's just making that decision that works for you. And, um, yeah, you need to be in that funk, um, that mess to, to work it out. Yeah, I agree. And it's like there's infinite pathways, isn't it? And it's just like just try and listen to yourself. (laughs) That's probably the number one advice. Even from mentors. Mentors are amazing but also there comes a point where you can get like mentor whiplash. (laughs) What's that? Talk me through that. Oh, it's just like, you know, you're just getting advice from everywhere and you're Uh, like, fucking hell, which way do I – I'm just going to choose that and just learn from it. Mm. Yeah. I, um, well, we would have been friends because I was. Sounds like I was doing pretty similar when I was walking around Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> so, would have been good if we actually ran into each yeah, other somehow, yeah. even though in different state. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, mate, moving through your journey, I also want to explore leadership as well. Um, and like, I, I, you know, come from the belief that some of us might have some natural leadership abilities, of course, but also you, you learn by initiation. And I think I'd love to just hear a little bit about your journey with leadership. How do you think about it? Um, Yeah, we'll just start there. Okay. Um, I'll try and make this succinct, but it's pretty broad um, all over for me, right? Mm. Like so uh, I was was young when I was first captain of the team um, and we did well. Like um, uh, Dave Dennis was the captain of the Waratahs at the time. He got injured late in the season. Um, so I took over captaincy and we ended up winning it. I only captained about four or five games, but Dave had done all the work. He's an amazing leader who will never get credit probably as some other leaders would have. Um, the guy just brings out um, the best in people. He's infectious. You want to be around him. And he's just a good person. He genuinely has people's best interests at heart. So in terms of, um, you know, a great figure, he was around. I just didn't know it at the time, you know. Um, so we're still mates today. He's actually the captain of the Giltinis, which is the LA oh, yeah, rugby team. Um, so he's, yeah, he's, he's got to be like 35, 36 and, and still running around on two bung knees. But <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, keeping the dream alive. But really good. So I thought from that little moment, it's like, okay, like mm. this, is, this is okay. Um, and then, um, you know, the back end of that year with Wallaby stuff, we didn't go well. Um, and right, that rode me hard um, and worked out that I was quite um, quite out of my depth in around that and then probably didn't captain for a couple of years after that. Um, I think my biggest uh, – I, I think well, then went to captain just before I go on this next point, 2016 to the Waratahs for quite a while and the Wallabies from about 2017, end of 2017 through to um, – well, through to now 
Um, but asking for help, and this is this mm. is oh, trying to encapsulate that whole time in this. Asking for help was a sign of weakness. Yeah. So. You know, like I had some great, I still have some great people have offered their assistance, help, um, an ear anytime they need it. Um, and I was like, no, thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I didn't take them up on it because I thought if I asked them for help, then that'd work out. I'm a complete and utter fraud. Yeah, imposter <laughs> yeah. syndrome 101. Complete and utter fraud. But, yeah. um, you know, like I wanted to give off the impression that, no, I've got this. Mm. I've got this. Um, so instead of, um, you know, actually reaching out and going, Hey mate, what would you do in this situation? Or this has been tricky. Um, what does that look like? Or what's your idea of this or that? And I didn't do it. And, um, it's a massive regret on mine that I didn't at the time because some really great people have offered their hand. But, um, in saying that now I know it. Yeah. So I've come to the, it just took me a while to actually, um, get around to it. But, um, what's leadership? Um, this was actually said to me by a, a great fellow and a great leader himself, but he said, um, he asked me what leadership was. And this is not too long ago. It's probably a year or two ago. It's like, oh, it's sort of your, in the f- you know, you're working with guys to, um, or you're ahead of, you know, pushing guys to get to a certain direction or a goal that you want. And he goes, do you think? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. It was really hard for me mm. to put into a definition. Um, and he goes, and we talked for a bit and he goes, you know what I think? And I said, absolutely. And he said, it's actually knowing yourself really well. And I go, okay, you're going to have to break that down for me. Um, and he said, good leadership is knowing yourself implicitly because when you know yourself, you know what you're really good at and you know what you're bad at. And when you know what you're good at, you're authentic. So um, other guys in the team or just anywhere, like it doesn't have to be, you know, leaders or leadership or there's a quite an overused term, but anywhere. Yeah. Good leaders are discerning when to care, when to challenge. And it's just that choice in between. It's hard to do. Really hard to do. Really <laughs> hard to do. And also if we think about the models of masculinity that we probably grew up with, which is, you know, don't ask for help, you know, that's weakness or just work it out, mate, um, you know, suck it up, like which has its time and its place. But also there are moments where the nurturing side does need to come out inside of leadership. And I think the other thing which I really love what you said is around the authenticity and there's probably some psychologists that can articulate this way better than me, but there are some really important evolutionary reasons why authenticity is important as a leader because if you're authentic, I can feel you. you know. But if you're a bullshitter, I can also feel that. And when we're in our groups or you know, on the, the tribe, on the savannah or whatever, we need to work as a unit because if I'm not with the group, I'm getting attacked by that snake or that tiger or lion, whatever. So... This is also a really interesting part of developmental childhood is as kids we want attachment, we want to belong. However, when we act in a certain way as a kid and it doesn't get rewarded, we learn to shut that part of ourselves away. And so we trade our authenticity for attachment. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting, right? And then I think the journey particularly of leaders and coming back to what you said around like – coming back to yourself, finding out what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are and building that around you in others, then you've got a unit. Um, I think part of the journey is, is, you know, going back to that kid, younger you and just going, cool, what parts of me are my gifts and my strength that I shut away that I can now, you know, go back, do whatever I need to do internally to share that with the world. That's really powerful and really special. And then also I think there's this thing about leadership where it's it's almost like it's it's embodied, you know what I mean? Like it's like... I often think about this like it, it, you said it before, it's such an overused term. It's like, you know, you're a good leader or leadership is this and it's like some clean definition. 
all I know is I can feel when I'm in the presence of a leader and, and it's their actions, it's their deeds, it's what they do when no one's looking, it's their consistency, but also when they fuck up, like how do they show up? Because I think, yeah, I, we mentioned it before, but I really think like crisis or tragedy like reveals people's character. Mm. Like you see, you know, everything's good when it's like kind of peacetime, but it gets to wartime and you're like, all right, What's going on here, yeah. you know? Oh, it's the Mike Tyson, right? Everyone's yeah. got a plan to their punch in the face. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Who are you now? Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. So in terms of um, leaders, you, you mentioned Dave Dennis yeah. um, being an influence on your um, career and your leadership. Is there anyone else that's, that's shaped how you think about it? Yeah, uh, there is. There is. Um, and the problem with always naming them is I feel like I'd leave someone out and I'll forget them on the spot. Um, look, all of my Wallaby coaches have been amazing and I reflect on, um, you know, how they've been in different ways um, to me. You know, I've had four now um, and, you know, in all different ways I reflect and I go, oh, geez, I was, you know, geez, I were really switched on in that mm. that zone and some great Waratah captains and um, coaches as well at that level and Brumbies guys have been around and, and all that sort of stuff and then just, you know, experienced players. Yeah. Um, I came into, a, you know, um, you know, to 09, end of 09 into 2010. And the rugby landscape was completely different in terms of who was around at that point of time. Um, and rugby was only 15 years old professionally at that point. So it was still young. Wow, yeah. The rugby's been around forever, right? But it yeah. went, goes pro in like 95, yeah. 96. Um, so by the time I turned up, it was still only, you know, um, 15 years old or so. Yeah, wow. So it's still really in its infancy. So we're, yeah. you know, like it's still a young game and – it goes through its ups and downs, but it's really exciting. But in terms of the leaders, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, you look at look at guys and go, oh, I like a bit of that and, you know, or maybe I'd do that differently or whatever. But, again, coming back to it and just being authentic, I can't do what, um, you know, Dave um, does because he's a different person and, and for a multitude of reasons from his upbringing to how he sees the world and all that sort of stuff. So knowing what he's good at then, you know, if – Overplay with him again, which I'd love to. Um, you know, we can work together. It'd be so great, good, mate. LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I love that man. And just in the theme of leadership, um, are there any standout moments in your? I'm going to say your life, but also your career. And I don't want to just say like as a professional rugby player. Of course, take that in consideration. But your life, like, are there any moments that you're most proud of in your? Your journey as a man. Uh jeez. Um, that's tough to put put it on any one moment. Um, no, I, I, I think the growth stuff, hey. Yeah. Like I just um, – you know, when you're young, every, you, you're actually amazing at it. You don't even know it at the time, but you live in the now really well. So um, that's when you play your best rugby. That's usually when you're doing your best work, when you're not thinking about outcome or you're not thinking about past things or anything like that. So when you're young – Particularly when I was playing footy, it was like, okay, what whatever's ahead of me, like let's let's get into it. Like I'll play what's in front. Um, okay, we're going to South Africa this week. Okay, that's good. Um, and it's just the the one of the real luxuries of being a young man. You know, like you get to you just sort of. Um, I guess that's why you don't have as much fear then, or you don't have all those things. You don't realize your mortality is <laughs> like real. So, you know, you'll run into anything or do a, do that, but you're just right focused in the now. And then for some reason you're a bit older and you start thinking and planning and mm. all that. And I think yeah, that can be great and it is great, um, you know, having goals 
um, having dreams. Um, you know, I loved I loved how Ash Barty talked when she yeah. talked. But she was so great, like talking about how she's got dreams, but they're not everything. But she's going to work bloody hard to achieve them, right? And she did. So, um, you know, like so. But that can sometimes take away the spontaneity and the yeah. and actually doing things to their best because you're not worried about yeah. things. And we talk about when we play, like, you know, okay, next job, focus on the now. But actually doing it's a skill. Yeah. So, um, you know, like surrendering the outcome, letting go of the outcome, whatever you want to call it, is really important. And not having any baggage, letting go of baggage, like understanding that whatever's done, you cannot change. Yeah. Like it is done. Yeah. You know, me walking here this morning is done. Mm. Um, and that's cool in itself, like, because you're, you're, okay, yeah, we'll learn from that, but don't have to dwell on it. Um, it's a really wise point because I think, you know, it's almost like the Hollywood versions of like high performance is like, you know, sprint at the outcome, like progress is like this linear thing to the top right corner. But really I think this letting go aspect is really powerful. And um, when I, you know, even if I spend time with mentors, it's there's like a, almost like this hierarchy of people who I have like exceptionally high performance, but they, it's like, the way I would describe it is like strong beliefs loosely held. So strong beliefs mm, okay. loosely held. So you you go for it like the Ash Barty, but also like, hey, if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to attach my identity to it. I'm not going to be like I failed. It was like, no, I was moving towards that general direction and I, I got way further than if I just wasn't. Um, and then the, the letting go thing is like I'm fascinated by like spirituality and how it plays a role in just our lives. Um, never used to be into it at all, but it's just like a few experiences where I'm like, holy shit. Um, but I think there is something really profound around um, this concept for living in the now with, with the power of letting go. And I think humans are like one of the only species that have the ability to think in the past, the present and the future. Okay. Which is a fascinating thing, isn't it? It's like, because you think, I don't know if my dog is worried about, you know, not getting. And they're the best. Fuck, I love dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You need to channel your inner dog. Yeah, 100%. It's like, I think I saw this meme and it was like, you know, you know. This is so ridiculous. Like dogs were the biggest winners over COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you're always home. And they'll never know it. They'll never know it. <laughs> that's it's the other doubt. Da- that's the yeah. downfall. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, my, uh, I just took my dog to the vet about two weeks ago. His eye was like playing up. So he had to get like – it looked horrendous. He had something cut out of his leg. He gets home. He just couldn't be happy to see yeah. my wife. Like he's just <laughs> so stoked. He's just been at the vet. And the best thing is he got his – he got like – he had to go back to get a checkup and everything – like he just got butchered in this place yeah. and he can't wait to go back to the vet. Like he is <laughs> he is at the door like trying to bang through the thing because he knows there's going to be treats in there or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. not about what's going to happen afterwards, <laughs> you know, like we don't want to go to the hospital. Like yeah. we, we get it. We get that it's not great. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't. Living the now like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. New teacher. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. So just in this theme of high-performing environments, you've played it against – some of the most incredible teams and particularly against an all blacks era that is insane, but also, you know, teams like, you know, the South African teams, you know, Oh, actually just there's so many, the English, the British and Irish Lions, like there's been some insane environments that you've had to kind of prepare yourself to step into and also to lead in. What has that been like for you? Uh, a challenge um, and a really good one, like fun. Mm. Fun. Again, I, w- I go back to privilege. Like it's a privilege to represent your country. It genuinely is. Um, Do you mind if I just ask on that? What was that moment like for you the first time 
Oh, well, I can tell you how it feels. So you know when something like uh, I just got that tingle or yeah. like that throwback? Yeah, it's it's special, man. Like um, even though my debut was this nightmare game, it was uh, we played the Scots in um, Newcastle. Oh, yeah. And it was like this one in ten year storm. And we're at Newcastle Stadium there, um, uh, McDonald Jones, whatever it's called, and um, I was on the bench and could just see like the rain just start whipping over the corner of the top of this building and you just look over at the Scots and they're just at home, right? Like they're loving it. Um, And this is our first game of the year. We're playing four tests in like three weeks, which is going to be a pretty tough schedule. Um, And that was the debut. You know, we lost a kick after the bell and, I mean, I think it's memorable because these two Scots like jumped up and headbutted each other when they were celebrating and split – Split yeah. their heads open um, and went on to – then we played the the Welsh afterwards. But, um, yeah, I mean I've, I'm poor at reflecting on this stuff because you move along so mm. quick. It's like there's always a game the next yeah. week. So I guess it's going to be something that, you know, post my career, look back and, you know, be able to have more fond memories of this sort of stuff. But you're always moving, which is great and also, you know, bad because you can't reflect on some of this stuff. But, yeah, you get your cap. Um, you know, post game, and it was a tough change room because you know we probably should have won. Um, but yeah, you get to represent your country, but it's also like a big thank you to your parents. Hey, like they drove you to games. I was I, I was so lucky that my parents like um, COVID's put a stop on it, but they would come. You know, even in um, you know seniors always come to my games and always felt supported. Mums are great because they'll tell you you play good yeah. like no matter what. And you're <laughs> yes. like, mum, like, <laughs> you know, stop, please. I yeah. know I had a shocker. Like don't tell, don't talk to me about it. And then your dad, my dad's also – I've also been really lucky with my old man. He's like a, a great sounding board to give me a genuine, um, you know, feedback on a game. You know, yeah. if it's not great, he'll say it's not great. But if it's good, he'll tell me it's good. So, mm. you know, going back to that, you know, social media stuff at the start, you've got to have some sounding boards. Of course. You can't yeah. just be – you know, you can't live in your own world, think – um, particularly in the high performance stuff, but he's been great. Um, I don't know where I was going with all of that. Well, I just um, had a, a flashback. I think your dad used to rock up to games on a Harley. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. was a very intimidating tactic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got short change. He's a bigger man than me. I thought, always thought I'd be like 6'3", he's like 112 kilos. I was like, oh, I'll play like 6 or 8, be a big 8. And then, yeah, got to think my mum's height and then, um, yeah, a bit lighter. I reckon your mum grew max up. Yeah, that, um, yeah, it's worked out all right. <laughs> Nice, mate. Um, I want to talk about playing against opposition players. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. so who, like, I know it's super hard because you've played with so many, but are there any people that stand out as just really memorable opponents for you and and why? Uh, Not not individuals as such. Yeah. Um, Like, been lucky to play against some amazing um, decorated players. But it's just teams, you mm. know, like um, because each each national team, each super rugby team has a really different flavour. Um, so, you know, like I think it's just knowing that what, what you're about to face and then it's amplified by crowd, it's amplified by um, what's on the line, you know. Um, and then, yeah, trying to, trying to deal with that, um, trying to let go of that and focus on what you can control. Um, and all I can control is what I can do. Like the ref could blow a terrible penalty, yeah. um, you know. They they make a lot of matchup. You know, uh, this is something that's hard for a young player, but they make a lot of matchups. So they go, oh, seven versus seven, or nine versus nine, te- fly half versus fly half. There's very little positions on the te- in the field that you can have a direct impact over how your opposition's going to play. So, say if I go into a game and you know I'm playing a you know Richie from back in the day or anything like that, they're like, oh, this is a big matchup. 
like as a player, what what can I do? Like maybe I'll see him at one or two breakdowns. Maybe yeah. I'll tackle him if he runs at me. But like, you know, so letting go of that stuff and, okay, where can I influence the game? What can I do? Um, and then, you know, that's got to start, um, you know, a week out before you play, as early as you can before you play to to then train it, to then walk like walk on the field pregame on a Saturday and go, okay, like I'm comfortable. Mm. It's time to just try and play what's in front. It's pretty – it's just to reflect back to like even in some of the questions I've asked, whether it's about like individuals, people that have influenced you or like um, oppositions that might stand out, it's – just it's very fascinating just like you're so in the present like it's like you're not worried like the external's there of course but it's like you're very much just from what i can feel you're just doing you with the stimulus coming at you if that makes sense it's it's i haven't been graded at times yeah um you know like there's been some challenges in in um you know my small little little world um so it's actually, you know, we talked about failures earlier. That was a failure. I started taking on too much, started mm. thinking about this and that and, um, you know, I think that you let that get too far, then you're actually letting go of the stuff you can control. And, you know, I've said that word way too much probably in this <laughs> podcast, what you can control, what you can't <laughs> control. But um, it's a constant battle. Yeah. It's not like, okay, you know, some enlightenment, you know, I've worked it out now. It's, yeah. n- it's no, not no, that no. at all. It's like, you know, you're, it's daily. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you might have a good game. Okay, well, why was I good in that game? Yeah. What worked in the week or why was I bad in that game? What did I miss in the week? And then that comes down to your needs and wants. So, you know, that's the superstition versus routine. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, you talk, mentioned about routine earlier, but there is a distinction. Me wearing, um, putting my socks down, um, is a routine. It's not a superstition. So, or me wanting to eat a certain food before the game um, is should be like isn't a superstition. Say, I want you know guys have pancakes you know the morning of a game. Well, what happens if we're in Argentina? They, yeah. they don't do pancakes before <laughs> the game. So, trying to go okay. Well, that's a want, not a need. Yeah. And nice. how does that fit into my routine? How does that affect my performance? All that sort of stuff. Um, it sounded a bit convoluted, but no, it no, just but sort of just like, blurted just that out. Listening to your body as well and like, yeah, developing a rhythm with that. Mm. So just on that, what are some of your – do you have any superstitions and what are your routines? Um, I actually loved how uh, the Fed – I love the Fed. Oh, God. Yeah, the Fed Express. I'd what love to see him play. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah. Dreamy. Man crush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was like, oh, his superstition – he doesn't have any superstitions. He actually makes an effort to not have any, but is that a superstition in itself? Yeah, right. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's like third layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who am so I? that's maybe why he's the goat. Oh, I think he's the goat. I think he's going to get overtaken. Is was he overtaken this year uh, by Nadal? What I did he get him? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't know because then you've got obviously Djokovic, which is kind of doing his own. Thing where he lands, you think he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna eclipse yeah. them all at least in majors territory, yeah. anyway. But I still love the Fed in our hearts, he's number one, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of like that, but then I also know that like routine's important. So you know, on a Sunday night, okay, what's my week look like going into a game? Well, I, I need to get this done, I need to get some tackling extras, some passing extras, um, you know, that's 
that's going to happen on these days. Well, um, if that can't happen, where can I fit it in? Um, and then once they're like, okay, well, I want to, I want to feel really good going into the game. So you know, maybe a swim before on game day is nice. Mm. But then we're in a place that you can't swim or something like that. Well, that's okay. That's right. a want. That's that's all right. It's not going to affect my performance. Mm. So having that distinction. Um, maybe the only superstition I have is I wear a sort of a similar um, washed, of course, but uh, budgie smuggler uh, each year. So that's nice. about it. Yeah, right. we love budgie smuggler too. Yeah, <laughs> as a manly local, as oh well. yeah, yeah, yeah. got to support local yeah, business. Exactly. Um, geez, they've done well though, being on every pair of buns playing professional sport. Incredible. Good, good on work, them. Good work, yeah. guys. Um, <laughs> great. It's a good tangent. Mm. Um. Next thing I want to just kind of shift gears, we've kind of gone from like touched on you, your growth into leadership, into teams. And I just want to come back to just your journey into your manhood. Mm. So, you know, my experience growing up as a dude, I was kind of surrounded by men, but no one really, I think, sat me down except when I was in trouble from my dad who was like, cool, what are you doing with your life? Mm. Like what are your values? And I was like, what is this? But what I think – is really missing in society is just open conversations around masculinity and manhood. And I think we're kind of shown a certain way to be a man, which is great as a starting point, but there needs to be way more options. What's been your own journey with your own manhood and your masculinity? Um, I don't really know, you know. Um, yeah, I guess it's a lot of it's been shaped by by um, being in team team yeah. environment. Um so yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a great person to to answer this. I mean, this is this is why I guess um, you know I think it's such a great space because you, you probably should should have a better understanding. My father's great. He's been he's so lucky for you know the dad I have, and now being a new dad, you know, like it's certainly you know trying to read a few things about it. It's um, you know like apparently and I don't know about this, but. Um, I've read this in a book, so I don't know. <laughs> could be wrong, <laughs> but your boy could love you. Will love you. He'll be the, you'll be the apple of his eye as his dad from like six mm. to eleven or twelve. And I remember this. And then you hit a point, yeah. and then it's like, Dad, <laughs> get away from me! <laughs> like, yeah. like if he comes to your footy, it's like, mate, can you stand as far away that corner? Yeah, like <laughs> I want you there. You know that you want them there, yeah. but if you can stand, yeah, far away or doing nippers, it's like, mate, like, yeah. you know, don't want you around. So, like, as a dad, like you give everything to this kid for twelve years, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like, nah, don't want you around. But in that time. Um, they say that that's where somewhere like an uncle yeah. or something like that in this book can come in and, you know, he so he's not – the kid doesn't view him as that dad figure but someone as like a really good mentor or yeah. um, something like that. So, you know, being a dad myself now, like, you know, is that an option? How do you work that in? I've got some great mates, um, you know, who I think would be um, – really good guys and I'm a way off it yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, what are the options out there for guys? I mean, you deal with this stuff daily. Yeah, I think it's such a good point. So just coming back to what we said about the rite of passage is that would often be done by the male males in the community, the uncles, um, you know, the cousins, the just, you know, the trusted men, they would take the boys away because coming back to those developmental years, like 12 to 16 and might brush out either side a little bit more, mm. but that's where the young man has to push up against his own barriers, which are the barriers often put in by the family. Yeah. Which often, you know, and this is not a blanket rule, just often that's enforced largely by the father figure 
who has traditionally been the disciplinarian. And again, we're speaking very general, like, but this is, yeah, exactly to your point. And I, I did the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to go find my own identity. Yeah. I'm starting to work it out, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it's exactly right. And I think our point here is saying this isn't the rule for everyone, but this is actually, you know, there, there is some, some psychological development that happens in those years. And to your point, it is so important that we have a good community of in our context we're talking right now, men around these boys. Because there might be some things as a father that you will, you'll be the best at teaching your son. Absolutely. But also there might be, coming back to what you said around authenticity, there might be some lessons that some of your best mates might be able to teach. There might be some lessons that, you know, your, or of course that your, you know, Kate might be able to teach. But it's how do we continually expose them to these men and I think that one of the most powerful things I've learned is the power of storytelling, particularly to young people. And the beautiful thing about a story is you can tell a story to a five-year-old, you know, a 25-year-old, 55, 95, and the person receiving the story can extract the values and the morals and the principles out of that story that's relevant to them in that time. That's why, like, fairy tales are actually just packed of, full of wisdom but you can read them to a kid and they're like having the best time. Like kids' books, they're de- like, they're, they're dead. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're sitting there having your existential crisis. Yeah. Like, Fuck, Spot, why does Spot have uh, that extra spot? You know? I know, like, I know, yeah. No, but then that's the thing. And I think, you know, for, for anyone listening, one of the most incredible things you can do for the young people in your life is to share your personal stories. And it's not about philosophizing, giving your advice, or when I was your age, it's actually like, you know, here's my experience when I was 14 and, you know, I, I asked a girl out and I got rejected and I felt like shit. That sucked. We'll stop. Then the invitation there is for the, the younger person, if they want to, first of all, they realise they're not alone. Secondly, they realise, shit, you have this advice. Can I ask you a bit more? And I think particularly with boys, um, there's like you just want to build these kind of foundational blocks of like psychological safety because often, you know, I think about my teenage years, I would just get to boiling point and I'd crash and run into mum's room crying every six months and then I'd put myself back together and went out to the world. And I just know that if I had been, I guess, the confidence and had seen it done that I could also just go to different people in my life at that age and go, "Mm, yeah, hey, this is fucking hard. I don't know what to do that would have made a big difference. So I think to reflect that back, that's definitely important. Yeah, how do we do it as a society now? Are we good at it? Are we getting better? Are we Well, I think we're we're it's, it's such a 14, 15-year-old you or me uh, running around. How are they doing? Is, yeah. it, is it there for them? Has that changed? Well, yeah. the 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 game has changed so much, mm. you know. So we were probably playing Tony Hawk, you know, back in the day or Crash Bandicoot at that time and MSN was probably yeah. the, main, oh, yeah. the, the main event, you yeah, know. There's three emojis. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. You'd sign in and out to get your crush's attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, now they are just in a completely different ball game. you know, with Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and the fucking rest, you know. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that like the levels of like um, – um, young people having sex is getting later, which is really interesting. Less alcohol um, consumption as well. And a lot of that can come back to how much time they're spending inside. Yeah, okay. And so there's trade-offs, right, because they're more exposed to world issues than we were. Like there's so much more connected. It's right like there, right? It's right there. They're tapped in and, you know, you've got these young people doing these global climate 
campaigns and walks. And I was like, fuck, we didn't know anything about that or yeah, I didn't. You did a paper run. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was it. That's it. That was your main, you know, yeah. your main thing. Yeah. So but also it's, you know, and this is the tricky thing with like the algorithm on social media is like you, what you watch, it gives you more of. And when it's designed to capture your attention in like really shocking ways, then that just gets more and more accelerated. And then the interesting thing is a society, we reward people who capture the most attention. So it's crazy even witnessing some of these like big YouTubers versing like Floyd Mayweather or um, Conor McGregor. So you've suddenly got these two different worlds of like this YouTube generation versing like almost like the highest performing athletes we know in like cage fighting coming together. And it's like what fucking the hell is happening here? So, but then that's what young people see. So like we've worked with young people for years and they're like, yeah, I want to be a YouTuber. Like what? Like how do you, I don't even know the business model behind that. But so I think there's, you know, like anything, there's positives and negatives and it's just how do you engage with the device? Pretty much what you do I think is interesting. And then I think as well, it's also a very interesting time for masculinity. You know, like who are the male role models that we look up to in the public eye? Like there's not a lot that I go, fuck, you You are amazing. There's a few, but there's not a lot. And so then who are our young people getting exposed to? Are they getting exposed to who they see on YouTube or are they getting exposed, exposed to like values-driven, strong, kind, empathetic leaders? You know, and we get like the impact of like Donald Trump, right? And like we literally rewarded a guy who is super misogynistic, like very entitled as like, the alpha leader of an already very alpha nation. And it's like, well, fuck, no wonder we've got some of the biggest mental health issues, you know, family violence, gender equality issues. It's like, well, that's what we're exposing our young people to. I think that's an interesting thing about sport as well, particularly with rugby. It's like, well, actually not even rugby, sport. It's like it's this interesting thing around, you know, you are a role model, but did you sign up to be a role model? Absolutely not, no. Yeah, so that's not talked about. How do you think through that? Um, well, just to yeah, just to go to your point back there a sec. Um, we talked about one great role model, Fed. I don't know. He used to be a really angry person, didn't he? Yeah. Really angry on the court, but he's definitely not that now. Really, yeah. almost clinical. But you know, with social, right? Mm. You might like a young young bloke may love him or girl may love him, but it's not going to pop up because the more controversial stuff. That's so it. you just can't get it, can you? Yeah, yeah it's it's a tough cycle. Yeah. Um, what was the question? Um, uh, role modeling and oh yes, yeah. how how yeah, it's hard. Yeah, because particularly if you don't, and as an eighteen year old, nineteen year old guy, you don't see yourself as a rugby player. You see yourself as whatever, whatever your name is. That's that's you. You've you know you finished school at seventeen, and why two years later do you have to then you know um, be holding babies and doing that sort of stuff? That's yeah. not not what you're about, and it's really hard because like the like young men are wired mm. to be a certain way. So you start throwing um, certain things as a young bloke, you know, you're paid well, um, you're playing footy, you're on telly, you're watching that, um, you know, and your risk-taking is in your DNA at that age. Like it, like that's why you pay more insurance until you're 25 and then it starts <laughs> to go down because, you know, you're going to take risks in cars or whatever. That's yeah. just who you are. But we expect them to be a 35-year-old or 45-year-old wisdom, you know, sort of, you know, seeing it all type person. And that's hard. Yeah. Um, but what I think we have to get good at or get better at 
is knowing that mistakes are going to happen. Like guys are going to stuff up. Yeah. And and I don't th- and I don't yeah, the boys will be boys thing. That's, you know, somewhat not not a fair excuse anymore, but um, you know, like guys are going to make mistakes. Girls are going to make mistakes. Yeah. We're all going to make mistakes, but you know how we um, you know, work with people to make sure they're not made a second, a third time That's or right. um is is the challenge and you know, because it's easy just to condemn someone yeah. um, straight away, and you know you're an idiot when you're 12, 13 years old. You're not aware of, you you don't. Uh, it's hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes at that age. Again, I think we touched on it earlier because you are so in the moment. Yeah. So you don't have the. You, you're not putting yourself in anyone else's shoes. That just comes with the age. So there's goods and bads. Yeah. Positives, negatives for everything. Um. I mean, I. I you know, I'm probably not great to talk on this because, uh, you know, I haven't thought so much about it and this mm. is your space. And um, But it is something that, um, you know, you'd, you know, now having a, a son, yeah. um, you know, you want them to, you know, if he, if he stuffs up, he gets caught speeding or dumb, something like that. Like he didn't do it. Yeah. Um, he's, there's certain reasons why he did it. Let's just make it not happen again or yeah. try and eliminate it before it happens ideally but that's yeah. going to be tough to do right yeah and you can't do everything as a parent right yeah. like there has to be some level where they trip and fumble and scrape their knee and mm. you know you pick them back up um yeah it's, i also think in, i want to go back into that but i think something which i think about for professional sport is like particularly in the context of the footballs is basically like you're literally paid to make instinctual decisions like you're amongst many other things but like you have to take away almost like the risk part of your brain, the fear part of your brain too because the game moves so fast to just go for it. And it's like, you know, I I often think about like no wonder some guys like end up doing the dumbest shit and get caught for it. It's like, oh, yeah, because their entire like daily life and their professional career is to just make split impulse decisions. And I don't hear that be talked about and of course people need to take responsibility and accountability for their life I get that but also you know if you haven't grown up in a family environment that encourages you to think about who you are what's your identity outside of sport you know what's important to you and what impact you want to have you know your sport is an amazing tool for a way out from really tough backgrounds as well absolutely and you know even if not you you said you spoke to James Mm. you know that guy like he's so impressive yeah but he had to go through some tough stuff and he's happy to talk about it. And, um, you know, so it's so great that it's hard, but society is, you know, can give a second chance and we yeah. need to be more encouraging of that. Um, cause it is easy to just cancel someone out. <laughs> it's a big thing. And I, I talked about this recently with, with, um, I think it was Chanel Contos. So she's just done this big, um, campaign around earlier consent education for young people. And, um, which is interesting because we're kind of in this time where cancel culture is like everywhere, you know, and it's like we even think about what's happened recently around, um, you know, Will Smith and Chris Rock. And it's like a hell of a slap. God, and also a slap. <laughs> I was like, well, interesting choice. Um, <laughs> like, I'm like, I well, didn't. It I probably would have been worse. If yeah. Flat I know, out drop the bloke. Drop yeah. the bloke. Yeah. Probably do a whole podcast on that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there, there's this interesting thing, I think, around like, Yes, we need to keep people accountable and hopefully they keep themselves. But if the model is about cancelling someone so that they don't learn the lesson, but then also that's in one sense quite worrying. But then the next thing is that role models to everyone else, if they fuck up or if they get caught fucking up, then they're going to get cancelled. So then 
there's no like people aren't living their full lives or they're worried about saying the wrong thing so they might get cancelled. Mm. And it's interesting doing a bit of work, obviously working with boys and men now, but, you know, we're in the space of like equality as well. The amount of conversations I have with guys being like, mate, I am petrified of saying the wrong thing. They're like, you know, everything, the language is moving so fast. Yeah. And if I can't say the right thing right now, I'm seen as a, my entire character is questioned. Mm. And this is like even how we treat, you know, our jail system. It's not about rehabilitation, which it should be. The jail system is about locking them away and they're a problem to be solved. And it actually becomes its own like economic engine because it gets privately owned and it was just so wild. But really I think it's like we have a long way to go in how do we help people rehabilitate, recover and heal. And that doesn't just mean physically. It's like from decisions that they've made, you know, how does how does Will Smith actually flip his life, you know, in I know he's got a pretty sick life generally, but, you know, flip his life around and go, you know what, I really fucked up there. And here's what I learned. I'm so sorry for the role modelling that gave to X many million people. Um, here's what I'm going to do to change. You know, like I've never really been exposed to a pub, someone in the public eye who's owned it like that. Yeah. No, it's tough. I, um, I liked your analogy around um, the sports stuff, right? And, and what is it? Is it life imitates art or mm. – yeah, I th- I've heard that saying before, mm. right? And art you could argue is a bit of sport, right? So if I was a coach and someone just has an absolute shocker of a game – one game or does one actually let's go in further has a terrible play in one game or you know drops the ball twice i drop him straight away what's everyone else think as a player in that team yep. like oh my god like i'm so tensed up of making a mistake i like well i won't play to what i what i can possibly do so you know like in, in taking that elsewhere right like you can't be so crushed to, to be so worried because we're not going to move forward then. Um, definitely as a player, you know, you look at that sort of stuff and you're like, you've got to be encouraged to make mistakes because making mistakes will flip the wheel and get the improvement yep. and um, everything like that. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's just hard to do though, yeah. you know, like and it's a real inflection point, isn't it, for society, I guess, through my eyes and my eyes I haven't seen it. Again, I'll, I'll bring that back to saying, you know, I haven't thought about it to the level that you guys have. And it's great that you're doing what you're doing because you're, um, you know, you are making the conversation more heard and um, stuff like that. I had a good point, but I also forgot it. So I often, when that happens to me, which is all the time, I say, <laughs> I, I, go, I don't know what the question is, but that's the answer. Mm. So <laughs> I'll use that. Yeah. I like that. That's good for interviews. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just credit me when you say Or you just yeah. say hard to say. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Hard to say. You go for a bit of a swirl. Yeah. And, uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. yeah. Tomato, tomato. You know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. All right, dude. So, fatherhood Mm. this is something we've talked about the you know you talked very highly about your dad um and his role modeling to you and we're just joking with liam beforehand around like um we don't often as guys have these environments to just talk about fatherhood and you're a new father Mm. um how's the experience been for you oh mate uh, amazing like i was very lucky to have time at home with um you know my wife and and lord tommy um for the first four weeks of his life, um, you know, and so often there's that push in our environment sometimes to get back onto the rugby field as quick as possible, but really got, just got to set up some time at home and I was, you know, super thankful for my employer and allowing that all to happen and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is – I don't feel any different, so I don't feel like I've become a dad. Mm. So I take – but definitely some priorities and some um, – 
you know, feelings towards what's important has shifted. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's been awesome. I, I don't think that not, not in a bad way, in a really good way. Like I can't wait to get home to see, yeah, I've, I'm that type. I don't know how you are. Um, you know, you guys have been with newborns, but if someone handed me a newborn before being a, you know, dad now, I'm like, you know, tuck it under the wig, sort of. <laughs> Thanks, but you can have it back. <laughs> like, yeah. beautiful, cute baby. I'm really happy for you, but I don't want to hold your baby. Like, yeah. um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I wasn't around young kids when I grew up, but becoming a dad, it's like get home and it's just like you just want to, you know, yeah. hold him. And, um, yeah, so that's that shifted, um, which is awesome. Um, and then, yeah, like you just, yeah, you're – not so selfish. Mm. You don't become like as an athlete, we are incredibly selfish. We want to eat well. We want to also, you know, like you don't want to have traffic going to training. You you want, um, you know, a good seat in on the airplane where you travel yeah. or um, anything like good beds to sleep on. You become credit. I need eight hours of sleep a night. Yeah. You don't get eight hours of sleep a night with a baby <laughs> in the room. <laughs> You're lucky to get uh, half of that. So, um, yeah, I mean – it is, it, but it is a remarkable thing to do. And um, no, we there's um, guys are funny though. Like it, you, you won't talk about it openly, but then you know I catch up with a mate who's a new father as well, and it's like, oh, mate, have you? What do you think of that pram? Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, that's or, the bonus edition. You see the, the hydraulics on the wheels. Oh, yeah, <laughs> mate, they, I'm telling you, these things are nice. Like aesthetically pleasing, they drive like. So nice. So I didn't put much work in. I only went to baby bunting once last year because of COVID. It was a nightmare trying to – we weren't in Sydney for months. Um, so my wife did all the um, shopping for it all. Um, so I had no idea. I just saw the credit card going ding, 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 ding <laughs> on the way up and uh, finally get these things. I'm like, oh, well done. Like this thing's nice. You can. It's pretty much a car. Like we walk down to Manly and pack it up. Um Oh, it's awesome. Oh, so good, man. And what was it like to witness or just be in presence of Kate as she, you know, became a mother? Uh, I, I said to you guys earlier, mums are superheroes, hey. Yeah. And I think for me, um, you know, that my 20s was like, yeah, you're, you're establishing. Yeah. Like you're out there, you're doing your own thing. And, and yeah, not, I wasn't great with calling my mum and dad. I'd see them at games a lot, so I was lucky to have that exposure. But, you know, a lot of the guys I've been around, you know, the calling of the parents has been minimal. But then when you have a family of yourself, you come back full circle and your appreciation of your parents absolutely skyrockets. Mm. So, um, you know, you, you understand that the, the sacrifice they gave to bring, you know, to put you in this world and get you moving and going in one direction, um, whatever direction, um, is a huge sacrifice. So you actually, like... For me, and I'm not sure it is, but speaking to some other guys, it's similar. Like you come back for more full circle to your family and um, certainly you get tighter in around there. That village raises um, a child is, yeah. is you know, so apparent to me now. Mm, I love that. Yeah, village raises a child. Another quote which is just um, comes back to the rite of passage thing but also it's in this same conversation is um, – uh, young men will burn down un, – sorry, uninitiated young men will burn down the village to feel the heat. Okay. So uninitiated young men will burn down the village to feel the heat and if it comes back to that immortality, invincibility, and so it's like how do we create these experiences in our kind of early formative teenage years to like test them so they realise they aren't invisible because otherwise they're going to go test themselves yeah. 
And we see that through the risk-taking behaviours. Um, but I, I just wanted to throw that in there alongside the, the community to raise the child. Yeah. Um, any lessons from your family that you're going to take into your fathering journey? Uh, I think, you know, my, my parents never pushed anything on me. So, um, you know, I've been very lucky to have a career that I have in sport, but I never felt the pressure of a, of my parents saying like, you got to, you should be out there passing the footy or, um, should be kicking the footy or why aren't you going for runs and stuff like that. I never felt the heat. Likewise, didn't feel the heat in studies, which <laughs> which uh, I actually had a good laugh with my mum. I'm like, yeah, no, you never pushed me in footy stuff, but you'd never pushed me in academic and that showed up too. So <laughs> I got my UAI back and for some reason I just thought it would be high and it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and then I go, oh, that's right. I was going to the library to, you know, see my mates, not yeah, go to the library to study. Yeah, so yeah. when I'd say to my parents in a HSC, I'd go, oh, I'm just going to go to the library. They're sitting back going, oh. What, what a, a good, good boy, Michael. <laughs> like who goes to the li- who, like we had internet there. We didn't need to go to the library. No, I didn't, no. What books was I getting? <laughs> it was just a like glorified time to hang out. Yeah. Um, but they never pushed anything on me like that, mm. and I think that gave me the. Um, I knew that there was a safety net, but that gave me the comfortability to go out and, and experience it and try it and. Um, be okay to fail because, you know, I, I don't know, maybe if dad had said you've got to go down to Canberra to make it work and, you know, why aren't you loving it and stuff like that, which never felt, maybe because I didn't talk to him about it as much, but um, maybe I would have gone, well, stuff you. Like yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah, It's not you want me to do that, but I never felt that. And I think – but I knew that if I had come home, they would have said, no, nah, you gave it a crack. And that was cool. Um, but in saying that, like – it's not like they weren't there. So mm. I think what was important was, you know, maybe maybe I felt the love because they were just on the sideline, um, you know. So um, that was that was cool too. So if I could give something to Tommy, whatever it is, I don't know what he's going to do, going to play, if he's going to mm. like sport or not, but just try and support him and ask him questions. And I know it's easier said than done, um, but uh, I guess that's the, the failure and improvement thing that, and the growth thing that you've got to come to terms with. Um, I'm a terrible father at the moment, but I'm going to get better and I can be okay with that too. Nice, man. I love that. Uh, and just as we begin to land this plane, mm. um, just want to just talk about how you maintain your mental health. So if there's any, you know, we talked about rituals and practices, but, yeah, what do you do just to kind of, yeah, keep your mental health on track? My mental health? Um, I think balance is good. So, um, you know, like I love to surf, I love to, um, you know, I like my own time as well. So I, I think, um, you know, speaking to people um, but then also just not um, is good as well. Um, but I, I think keep my mental health is, um, I, look, I haven't really thought about it, you know, and, um, yeah, I don't really know how to answer answer that well. Uh, I've got a good good set of mates, Um you know, I guess we've we've been lucky now in our environment um, that it is, you know, the RUKs and stuff mm. has really been around rugby for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so that's been good and guys have, guys are really starting to pick that up, certainly in our environment at training and, um, yeah, so we're getting better at it. But me personally, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I guess balance. 
yeah. balanced lifestyle is good. Not yeah. putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, I think in even what you've reflected, it's like you're more than just your career. Mm. Exercise and routine, diet, like and family and friends. Mm. Like that's a pretty good base plate to start with for just taking better care of yourself. Mm. Actually, no. Now now that you've said that, made me think of something. You're, wel- think, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> you can take credit for that. Um, <laughs> exercise is really important for me. I, I feel like we're lucky to do it as a job, but even when we're not tra- like yeah. not training, you get a kick after it without doubt. Um, yeah, good good diets, um, really important for me. And then, yeah, it's that balance, it's that family and friends, that support network. I read a lot about that. I lived up in Japan for six months last year. Mm. I played, played up there and they have like one of their places in Okinawa, I think they have one of the highest living. Um, oh, they're like a blue zone. Yeah, yeah. blue zone. They're like yeah. average age is uh, – uh, this is going to be so wrong, but I want to say over 90. Yeah. Something ridiculous. Yeah. And they put it down to – and there's like one in um, South America and then I think Sard- Sardinia yeah, maybe something, or yeah, yeah, in some, Italy yeah. somewhere. Three places in the world that like – Yeah. And the thing they had was good social support, like general exercise, not too heavy, which counts me out, but like moderate because they garden and they do yeah. a lot of that. They're moving a lot. So society, that, and then a good diet. Those three things contributed to really healthy long life. Yeah. There's also, uh, I think I may have even talked about it on this podcast before, but there's a Harvard study on that has like sat with guys from like ages, like teenage years to like 80 to 90. So it's like the, one of the longest oh, yeah. studies in um, uh, life longevity for men particularly. And it's um, the quality of their relationships. So it's it's not the quantity, but the quality. Okay. And these comedy guys have been smoking the whole life. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. been through like recessions, depressions, yeah. plagues, the whole thing. But it's the depth of their friendship, which I think comes back to us being social creatures and almost coming full circle. We talked about at the beginning, but just like the, the tribe and the community. Yeah. Oh, so, awesome. There you go, mate. So yeah. Keep having DMs. That one. Yeah. DMs with your BFFs. Yeah. <laughs> and every other abbreviation. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, yeah, just that study we talked to is called the Blue Zones Project or something. And yeah, basically just looks at the cities uh, or the communities across the world that have lived, have the longest lifespan. And mm. they're speckled everywhere, which is really interesting. Mm. Well, dude, it's been a pleasure hanging yeah, out. Yeah, it's been really good. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I just want to say thank you for your time. I know it's like family time. You know, you, you just had a, a kid, but also you, you're kind of integrating back into footy as you're back in, in Sydney and Manly. Um, and man, it's just been awesome. Really awesome, just exploring more about who you are. And I just want to say thanks for being so generous and and real as well. No, I appreciate it, mate. And congratulations with all the stuff you're doing. I hope uh, you know you, this kicks on and you know, everything like that. And, you know, your reach, your reach grows and grows for those, you know, that target, uh, I was about to say target market, but that sounds so business, doesn't it? <laughs> hitting some KPIs yeah, over here. Yeah, <laughs> KPIs, no, but that group that, mm. you know, we've been through and, um, you know, can really benefit from it. So well done, mate. Like, you know, from something that you start on your, your day off, I mean, who does that? Like you get a day off, start a charity. Like some guys get a day off and will just binge a, binge a season of something. So I well done, man. I did just smash Drive to Survive. So Oh, yeah, is it good? So I'm not a car guy. I wish I was, but I'm just not. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, so okay. if you want to binge something. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm watching, yeah. I'm watching uh, babies, mate. They throw <laughs> me out. Yeah. So no, not at the moment, but yeah. Awesome, dude. Very good. Cool.